Hey Toppers, today's episode is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial if you go over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash turn of phrases. You can get over 180,000 titles and download them to your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any other MP3 player. Don't judge a book by its cover. Head on over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash turn of phrases to start your free trial and get your free audiobook today. And now, on with the show. Please listen carefully. Hello there, toppers, and welcome to episode four of Turn of Phrases. I'm so glad you could join me today, whether it's your first time here or you've been with me from the beginning of this journey down language lane. If you heard last week's episode or saw the most recent Twitter poll, then you know that today's topic is the idiom hanging by a thread. What's the story behind this thin phrase? When and where did it come from? Hang out with me for a while to find out the answers to these questions and more. So first of all, what does the idiom of the day actually mean? To hang by a thread means, in the literal sense, well, that something is hanging by a thin thread or a thread-like material, like say a hair. That's going to be important later in the episode. I promise. The definition we use it for as an idiom is to describe a precarious or dangerous situation. It is also used idiomatically to insinuate that something has little to no chance of being successful or that someone is likely to die due to a situation that they're currently in. That gets the what out of the way. So let's look into the when and where this idiom comes from. Oddly enough, the origins of this idiom have to do with a tyrannical, distrusting king, a guy who made a living flattering people, and a sword. Allow me, if you will, to share an ancient parable with you, one made popular when it was penned by Roman philosopher Cicero in 45 BC in his book Tusculan Disputations. As Cicero tells it, the story begins with Dionysus II, a cruel tyrant of a king who ruled the Sicilian city of Syracuse during the 4th and 5th centuries BC. He was crazy rich and extremely powerful, but alas, was super unhappy. He had made a lot of enemies thanks to the way he ruled his land, and the fear of assassination was constantly on his mind. He was so worried about it, in fact, that he surrounded his bedchamber by a moat and would only let his daughters give him a shave. Democles shows up in the story at the point when Dionysus's unhappiness was at a high point. As a court flatterer, it was basically Democles's job to make rich people feel better about themselves. So as he was paid to do, Democles gave Dionysus some mad props about what a great king he was and how wonderful his life must be as the powerful, rich king he was. The stressed-out Dionysus snapped at him about how if Democles liked his life so much, perhaps he'd like to give it a try. Of course, like most people probably would, Democles jumped at the opportunity. So Dionysus offered Democles a seat on a golden couch. Which, side note here, I hope it was a couch made with gold fabric, because if it was a legitimate golden couch, that just doesn't even sound comfortable at all. But I digress. Once Democles was seated, Dionysus had a bunch of servants wait on him. 
The Makalis got all the good stuff. The best cuts of meat. His skin was treated with perfumes and ointments. Heck, they probably even cracked open the good flasks of wine. He was in heaven, figuratively speaking. But just as things were going better for Democles than ever before, he happened to look up and noticed that Dionysus had hung a sword directly above his head. It was extremely sharp and hanging by a single, solitary horsehair. I told you that whole hair thing was going to be important, didn't I? Anyway, that put an immediate damper on Democles' mood, and he couldn't enjoy the banquet anymore. He soon asked to be excused, realizing that the danger to his life that came with a good fortune wasn't worth it. This parable and its representation of the fear of death that people in power are constantly under became popular in medieval literature. The saying, Sword of Democles, became a term to describe pending danger. But the tale was really the springboard for our idiom of the day, hanging by a thread. And even though the hanging by a thread part is the more used and better known phrase, the idea of the sword and the impending doom feeling in general is definitely something you can see continuing through history from that point forward. Horace, the Roman 1st century BC poet, alluded to the sword of Democles in Ode 1 of his third book of Odes when he wrote, quote, above whose impious head hangs a drawn sword, end quote. Geoffrey Chaucer wrote the Canterbury Tales in the late 1300s, and he refers to the sword of Democles in these stories. He writes, quote, Above where seated in his tower, I saw conquest depicted in his power. There was a sharpened sword above his head that hung there by the thinnest simple thread, end quote. The Cold War was big into this parable as well, because both sides used the verbal imagery. In a speech that President John F. Kennedy gave to the United Nations in 1961, he said, quote, Every man, woman, and child lives under a nuclear sword of Democles, hanging by the slenderest of threads, capable of being cut at any moment by accident or miscalculation or by madness, end quote. Also, I'm going to get this name wrong, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Soviet First Secretary Nikita Khrushchev wanted the Tsar Bomba to, quote, hang like the sword of Democles over the imperialists' heads, end quote. It is still used in popular culture in books, television, and movies. One example is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, in which Rocky Horror says, quote, the sword of Democles is hanging over my head, and I've got the feeling someone's gonna be cutting the thread, end quote. There are many other examples that can be found in modern cultural references, but it's no fun if I tell you all of them. I need to leave some of the exploring for you guys to do. However, I think it's safe to say that the phrase has been a popular one for a long time and can be used to portray both a sense of doom and a feeling of unease. Now, I have a second topic to go over today because that's all I have for hanging by a thread. So let's change gears just a bit and turn to our second topic of the day, which shall be the idiom, running amok. The meaning of this phrase is to go crazy, to snap, or to go on a rampage. A less intense usage is to describe someone making a mess while running around. Either way, there's a common accepted origin of this idiom that happens to be completely wrong. That would be the belief that running amok was derived from the act of sailors running a ship aground into the literal muck found in the shallows. 
However, the English word amok is most directly translated from the Malay language, which comes from the Austronesian family. It has an official status in Brunei, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore. It basically means attacking furiously, with uncontrollable rage, or with homicidal mania. So if we go with the translation, there's nothing to do with sailing, sailors, bad boat driving, or the muck found under shallow water. The word itself first appeared in the English language sometime around the early 1500s. Duarte Babosa, a Portuguese writer, wrote a book titled The Book of Duarte Babosa, an account of the countries bordering on the Indian Ocean and their inhabitants. In it, he wrote, quote, there are some of them, the Javanese, who go out into the streets and kill as many persons as they meet. These are called amuko, end quote. Amuko, spelled A-M-U-C-O, is a variation on the old-timey spelling of amuk. The idiom became much more popular after British explorer, cartographer, and Royal Navy Captain James Cook wrote in 1772, quote, To run amuck is to get drunk with opium, to sally forth from the house, kill the person or persons supposed to have injured the amuck, and any other person that attempts to impede his passage, indiscriminately killing and maiming villagers and animals in a frenzied attack, end quote. Back in these specific old-timey times, some in the Malay culture believed that one entered the state of Amuko due to an evil spirit, sometimes called Hantu Balia, coming into their body. This spirit would make the possessed person attempt to kill anyone they saw, but once the spirit left them, they'd return to normal. Since an evil spirit was to blame for their actions, they were usually unpunished, if they survived the experience. However, death often occurred while running amok, and this was somewhat thought to be the purpose. Often the person running amok had recently been through something tragic in their lives and were seeking a way out. So if you see someone suddenly running amok, maybe they just need a friend to talk to. Or a priest, if the exorcist is even a little bit real. Okay, with that, it's time for the weekly metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. This week, we're going to explore the metaphor, going to hell in a handbasket. Now, while many of us probably use this phrase quite often, what you may not know is the origin of this phrase is likely from an English saying having to do with going to heaven in a wheelbarrow. Wait a second, you might be saying, heaven is the opposite of hell, and how does a wheelbarrow turn into a handbasket? Fear not, toppers, that's what I'm here for, to give you the dots and then connect them for you. So, let's get connecting. In 1618, English preacher Thomas Adams had this to say in God's Bounty on Proverbs, quote, Oh, this oppressor, that is, one who was wealthy but gave little to the church, must needs go to heaven. What shall hinder him? But it will be, as the byword is, in a wheelbarrow. The fiends, and not the angels, will take hold on him. End quote. In these particular old-timey times, it turns out that the phrase going to heaven in a wheelbarrow was a euphemistic way of saying going to hell. So this opposite phrase wasn't so opposite after all. But that wasn't a new idea even for way back then. Medieval stained glass windows in Fairford Church in Gloucestershire show a woman being pushed to hell in a wheelbarrow by a blue devil. So this old-timey notion is even old-timier than it seems. If the idea has been around so long, how did we get from wheelbarrows to handbaskets? 
While it can't be definitively proven, many people think the word handbasket may have gotten traded in due to the fact that when people were beheaded, the head they'd just been relieved of would be deposited into a basket. And since those people being beheaded were often criminals, they'd usually be headed to hell. If we travel to 1714 and are willing to read the diary of Samuel Sewell, we can find a version of this metaphor that reads, quote, Governor said he would give his head in a handbasket as soon as he would pass it, end quote. I don't know what the governor did, but even if it wasn't anything bad, it does seem to back up the idea that people were familiar with heads being in handbaskets. Another school of thought comes from turning holidays into secular celebrations in the early 20th century, specifically Easter. Even more specifically, the Easter baskets, which happened to be handbaskets. As old-timey folks began thinking more about the eggs and the baskets to put them in, and less about the resurrection of Jesus that they were supposed to be focusing on during the holiday, the more devout Christians were less than pleased when they would notice people they saw as lesser Christians focusing more on the secular aspects of the holiday, or any holiday for that matter, instead of the Christian aspects, they would tell them that they would be going to hell in their handbaskets. All right, Toppers, that wraps up the metaphorical moment, which means that episode four is now complete. Thank you for turning today's phrases with me. As always, I hope you had fun and learned something along the way. Don't forget to go to at Turn of Phrases on Twitter to participate in this week's poll, which will be asking you, what's actually old, the wives or the tales? Check out today's show notes for all my other social media and contact information. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing or leaving a review, and please tell someone who you think would enjoy the show to help spread the word. Thank you again for listening to Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, hang on tight.